Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Kerry Price made his return Friday night to the Bell Center. He made 17 saves in a loss, 3-0 to the Islanders. And people are going to say, well, he lost. Well, unless he could score goals, what else is he supposed to do? He's not going to play at the Worlds, he doesn't think. But he never has, and uh, so he, he'd consider it. There's a lot of good goalies out there, yeah. but there's only one Carey Price. This is the Rod Peterson Show. It absolutely is, everybody. Welcome one more day to the Gray Eagle Resort and Casino. It's episode number 740 of your favorite daytime sports entertainment talk show. We are live on Game Plus Television. We're streaming on YouTube. And, of course, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or all the best, this is hour two. And we had Sammy Costantino with us last hour talking about all kinds of things, Blue Jays, NHL. But if you want to bring him on the screen, we've got a longtime friend, Benny Hebert, with us here, a guy that wears a lot of hats, he can cover a lot of ground. He can talk a lot of, about a lot of things. And uh, Jack Fulton's watching Ben uh, from Vulcan, Alberta. He says, the CFL needs to listen to Ben. Change is good. I don't think we even got into CFL talk last segment. No, I don't but, know why he's talking about that. Yeah, I don't know. Bo Levi's best friend right here. I'm correct in saying that. No, we're good buddies. I don't know if I'm his best friend. If I'm his best friend, he maybe doesn't He's in trouble. Many. Yeah, exactly. One half of the Benny and Bo podcast is Ben Hebert. He's now of Team Botcher. Doesn't sound right, but it will. And the viewers are writing in, and I'm just going to jump right into it. Ted and Red Deer's watching. He says, are all of the changes for Ben and others a result of a planned run to the Olympics? Uh, a little bit. I think it's probably different for every individual. I think, um, you know, I'm too uh, old and experienced to look at the next three years as nothing years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, <clears throat> you know, big events, Grand Slams, Briars, World Championships to play on uh, until then. You know, would I like to go to the, uh, another Olympic Games and represent Canada and Italy? Of course. I mean, that'd be a, a dream of everybody. But, you know, if we rattled off uh, 10 Grand Slam wins and, and three Briars along the way and lost the trial semi, you know, I'm probably going to be okay. You know, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I think our ultimate goal would be that. But, you know, you can't just focus on just that, right? There's a, there's a long journey and a long road there to go through until that time and a lot of hard work that needs to be put in to even give yourself a chance to win that. Mm-hmm. That's a one week. That's a one week get hot and steam up. And if you, if you play well, you get a chance to go. And I think, you know, I learned lots this year with playing with my current team with Kevin Cooey. You know, we lost to Brad Jacobs and then Gushu went on to win the final. And it was probably the first time in my life playing at the trials with Kevin Martin and Cooey that I thought that, you know, we weren't the best team there. We had a chance to win because we always, when Kevin Cooey always have a chance. 
Uh, but if we played our best and those other two teams played their best, I, I felt like they were better than us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, being the favorite, you know, I've been so spoiled in however many years with, with Kevin Martin and, and obviously a lot of years with Kevin Cooey as well, that when you're the favorite, everyone talks about, oh, being the underdog, you know, you sneak in there. Like, well, there's something to be said for being the favorite. Because if you're the favorite and you play good, there's a reason you're the favorite. It means you mostly <laughs> yeah. win. Well, and here's the thing. Sports is sports. What I love about it. And I said before you even showed up here today that you're the Tiger Woods of curling. And I say that, <laughs> well, you laugh, but here's, listen. In the nicest well, possible way. Yeah, well, I meant on yeah. the field of yeah. play. <laughs> but maybe uh, we'll, we'll keep Benny around here for a while because there's a lot to get to. But my point is, you've won so much. If you retired now at 39, you'd have a Hall of Fame career. Sure. You yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. But you don't want to stop. And we're all watching what everybody's doing. I saw when Brady came back, you were celebrating on social media. Tiger coming back, you're celebrating because you get it. Yeah, I mean the competitive fire never leaves you. No, and I, but I think I'm I'm pretty self aware too. You know, like you say, I'm I've had an unbelievable career and super fortunate and worked hard and had a lot of breaks, all the good stuff that can mm-hmm. happen to you. Hey, I've lost everything there is to lose too, by the way. Nobody, like, don't wow. kid, don't kid yourself. I've I've won a ton, but I've lost everything. But I think as long as I can still do it competitively and go out there a little pep in my step and have the chest out and play with that swagger and a little cocky and play good. That's what I'm saying. Then, I, then I'm going to play. Like, I'm not, I'm not dumb enough or nor, or nor do I want to play bad enough to go out there and start getting drummed up by other players that are surpassing me. You won't be Terrell Owens coming I, back I and playing be, fan control football. I will be long gone before that. And okay. I think it's a testament to even know, you know, I just got on a team with, you know, in my opinion, the best second in the world, the best third in the world, and Brendan Botcher, one of the best skips and up and coming for a four-year plan. He's my pick. So for those three to, to take me, I don't have to sell myself. You know, I just got, you know, if they wanted to pick a better lead, they could have gotten anybody they wanted. So I, I'm thrilled about another opportunity to play with another stacked team and put a lot of hard work in and see where we can end up. And by the way, Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl at 44 gets me going. <laughs> you keep going. Yeah, well, people exactly. always say, oh, he's old. He, Ben's old. I'm like, I'm old. I'm 39. I'm in good shape. My body still feels great. And I'm like, if Tom Brady can quarterback in the NFL and win the Super Bowl taking hits, guys, I can sweep a couple of rocks down the damn sheet. Who says you're old? Not just a lot. In the curling world, you know, a, lot of the, a lot of the good teams are early 30s, late 20s. So, you know, I'm older. When I started curling with Kevin Martin, I was 22 or 23. I can't remember the exact. Kevin was 39. My and we age, thought he was old. My age now. I played with him for eight years. And we thought he was old. That's a good point. So... It's kind of funny. So but, now I'm 39, yeah. but, but, but the makeup of a team, you know, my current team, Kevin being in his 40s, John, myself, BJ being older 30s, like, you know, to, to build the best makeup of a team, you don't want to have all old guys. So to get a guy like Brett Gallant, who, you know, I get to be the second best sweeper on my team, finally, best thing ever. Brett Gallant's an animal. Mm-hmm. Six foot three animal. Don't and, you win awards for being the best sweeper, though? Yeah, I used to, but I'm going to pass the reins to him now. And I can be, I mean, if I'm the second best sweeper on your team, I like your odds. So, you know, having him is important and having a young skip, hungry skip that maybe doesn't have all the accolades that me and Mark and Brett have yet, but we sure hope we can uh, add to his trophy case. That's the goal here. So pretty stoked. Speaking of losing as much as you win, I'm itching to ask you a bunch of questions. Hey, Moose! (laughs) Can hear you! Thank you. That's how we talk to the boss around here. Um... Bo Levi Mitchell has won 2014 Grey Cup, 2016 Grey Cup. 20, so three, he's won three. He's won two. He's won two. Two Grey Cups, lost two Grey Cups. Lost as much as you win. 
Well, we had See a great, what I'm saying? We had a great chat about this last night because he was over for dinner. Bo's family's in the States and my family's in Regina. So we're just having bachelor week here in Calgary. We wanted the golf all week, played Monday, and then we have a massive snowstorm here yesterday. Brutal. So we're Unreal. just, uh, you know, working out and having dinner together so we both don't have to cook, only mess one kitchen. But last night we're yeah, What home. did you talk about? Yeah. Well, last night we're, we're watching the Blue Jays Red Sox and we saw on 30 for 30, brand new 30 for 30 came out last night on uh, Greg Norman, the shark about his meltdowns at the Masters and being chipped in on at the... the, the like the epic ult- losses on the last day, you're saying. Oh, and, and yeah. tiebreaker, like extra holes chip in. And me and Bo were like, we paused it. And they, they, we, I, I paused it because they, they were asking Greg if he thought about winning when he had a seven-shot lead going into the final day of the Masters. And I paused it. I'm like, I always think about winning. I'm like, if, I, if I'm in the Briar final this year against Gushu, three-handed, of course we should have won that game. We were the better team without Mark Nichols. They had their full team. You're not getting that argument from me, but we were at advantage to win. We were the favorite. If we play good, we win. So, of course, I thought about the winning and celebration and what would happen if you win and all the good things that come with it. Yeah. You never think about the losing. I don't. And Bo said, I don't really either. The losing doesn't hit you until you win, but you think about some of the good stuff that can happen if you win. But, you, but once you get to the, like prior, night before trying to sleep, but when you get on the field or when you get on the ice, it just goes away. You don't think about that ever until like, you know, the last, five seconds if the clock's coming down or the last end or the last rock, and then it hits you, and it's either like best feeling ever or almost a little bit of shock in those championship games. So I was saying to Bo, you know, would you think about it as a seven-shot lead? Like, he must have envisioned himself putting the green jacket on. And then Bo said, well, I certainly wouldn't because I'm so bad. But, you know, we had a good chat about it, but it's interesting. Golf, curling, football, it's all relative to that. It's all the same. All the same. That's why the mental health, or sorry, the mental strength coaches work with a variety of sports. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was a great documentary, by the way. Yeah. So what did, what did Norman say about the night before? What was he thinking? He said he loved his chance to win because he was playing so good the first three days. But when, but when it went through the documentary and the people that he talked to in the media and the people on the range, all the signs of a meltdown were there. And if you watched it in depth like we did, like, it was honest, it was tough to watch. It hurt me as an athlete to watch me like, oh. It was a full choke fest, but he didn't know it when he was living it, but now he looks back at it. Yeah, but I mean, Greg Norman's had such a ridiculous career, and, you know, he's, was he a billionaire from his shark golf gear? Like, he even said, you know, it wouldn't have changed my life to win the Masters or not. I had a good life, and yeah, he's, he's doing fine. And what is he, 70 years old? He's cut like a diamond. He's jacked. He looks like yeah. you now. He's shredded. <laughs> you know what? He's in business again. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's doing good. Doing, starting over. When I say I'm itching to ask you a bunch of questions, I guess we'll come back on the uh, Bo thing and how he's looking and feeling. But that, 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 the Sask-Briar thing, I thought if there was every year to end the drought that goes back to 1980, Saskatchewan winning the Briar, this is it. You had Colton Flash there representing the province. You had Team Dunstone there as a wild card. And had Dunstone won, that would have counted as a Saskatchewan Briar, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. And they didn't even get to the medal round, the playoffs. Yeah, they had a good week. They beat us. They were our only loss, actually, in the round robin. They played great against us. and. Yeah, they, I don't know what happened to them. I What's the hold going. up for the province, man? They got good players. They got good players, but I mean, I, don't know, I hope they don't win for at least four more years. That's my goal here. So we'll see. I, I don't think it's a province thing or who's there. It's just kind of, I mean, the Briar's hard to win. And you got these top teams. You got a Brad Jacobs and a Botcher and a Cooey and a Gushu hanging around. Tough for somebody to break through. But Colton, my ex-teammate, you know, props to him. He had such a great Briar. He played amazing. I was super proud of him and his guys for breaking through. That's a breakthrough for them, even though they finished fourth. You know, they played excellent, and I think the future of Sasky currently is still bright with guys like, you know, Colton and, and Braden and, and Kirk and guys like that, the Marsh brothers. So I think that uh, 
Eventually it's going to happen, but probably in five more years when I'm out of, out of left, when I'm dodged. So you don't know anything about Rick Folk leaving and hexing the Granite Curling Club or something <laughs> like that? Because it's, the longer it goes, you've got to wonder. Yeah, that's not a real thing. That's not a real thing. No, no one even really, hexes. nobody ever talks about it actually in curling. Like it's never anything we talk Watch about. Watch TSN sometime. The, oh. They're always talking about it on there. Yeah, they, they, they recycle a lot of stories. They gotta, they're due for a, <laughs> something refresh there. How was Lethbridge, by the way? Amazing. Yeah. Oh, one of the best briars I've played in. Why? Getting fans back in the building, feeling that you know, energy of what we've missed the last couple of years. It was in the right place. Let's put it that way. Alberta seemed to be done with rules and regs. They put on a great, great show. A lot of, uh, a lot of partying. The patch was rocking. The building was rocking. Sold out. Crowd was amazing. Very knowledgeable crowd, too. You know, cheering for Saskatchewan, cheering for us, Botcher, Gushu, everybody. Just there for some great curling entertainment. And, you know, the curlers put on a great show. There was tons of good shots. And, uh, yeah, epic place for a briar. I got to play a world championship there, too. And, that won't be the last time Lethbridge gets the host. They did an amazing job. Well, the old me, the devil in me, would say, what's the, what's the bread basket of curling? The Heartland, Sask or Alberta? But you could say both. Both. Yeah. Manitoba probably flirts with it a little bit too. But, you know, certainly for me, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I would have expected the tr- – I mean, it's tough to judge anything over the last couple of years because, you know, all the stuff going down. But, yeah, Sask, Alberta for me are still the two biggest curling hotbeds for sure. It's been a good move for you coming out here. How long has it been? Been here since oh, 23, 13, 13 years. 14 years. Wow. Yeah, it's been crazy. I still get home quite a bit, but, you know, not. Uh, it's, it's starting to slowly turn into my home being here. My kids wow. are. 13 years of what? But I see how you get swept up in the Flames thing. It's amazing. Another Stampeders thing. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. I mean, they get a good buzz around here for your sports teams when you do well, right? They really get behind you. And, I know, you know, being from Regina, it's all riders all the time, and they dip in the paths a little bit. But, I mean, going to an NHL Flames game here when the Flames are rolling, I mean. Which they are. Nothing, oh, I'm good. they're so good. Like, nothing beats that buzz. You know, and I got to develop some good relationships with some of the Flames and their people over the last few years doing some charity events. So, you know, you got some personal ties to the players. You go cheer them. And, yeah, it's great. I love Calgary. It's a great city. It's, it's been good to me. Yeah. So, I mentioned the Stamps thing. You're always going to be a Ryder fan, but when your best friend or yeah. close friend is the quarterback of the rival team, and you're saying, without saying too much, he's feeling good, it's not good news for the rest of the CFL, I would not think. Yeah, no, I've had a few chats with him. Um, you know, he went down to the, the States in the off season, and I know he had some specialists looking at his body and certain injuries that he had to make sure that he was, you know, it's his last year in his contract. He wants to, he wants to play well and, and prove the haters wrong. And, you know, I've seen a little, little pep in his step, a little twinkle in his eye. He's feeling pretty good, and he says he's throwing it well. So it's exciting for him. You know, you don't like playing hurt and having to juggle the media and all the, the he said, she said stuff throughout a whole season and having to dodge that. But, um, yeah, I, I expect Bo to have a great season. He looks good. He's in great shape. Over last night, normally we'd have a whiskey or two, but he's on the straight water train train in the morning. Training camp's so, coming up. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, no, he's... Uh, He's ready to roll, and I think, uh, I think they you know, got Reggie Bagleton back. They got uh, KJ back healthy, and I think they got a good team. I think last year they were pretty young. When I asked him at the start of last year what his team looked like, he said they were young. He didn't say good or bad. And when I asked him what his team looks like this year, he's excited. Yeah. So I could see the Stamps coming back into Stampeder form this year. We'll see what happens. Well, you've been here 13 years. Is that what you said? So, yeah. I mean, what I'm getting, I've been here a couple of months. I realize the Stamps are a far bigger deal in Calgary than I thought. I thought it was Flames here, Stamps here, and it's not really that. 
and they finished third last year. That's not sitting well with them. No, they, they didn't host a playoff game, right? They're like, wow. you know what I mean? Like they expect to win, and they plan to win. Yeah, well, you look right? at their look at their run of quarterbacks that they had. Whether you know Dave and Burris Danny is an also ran. Nobody talks about Henry Burris seriously, right? And like when he was in Regina, yeah. he was the mayor. So you know when you've had that kind of success, of course, winning. You know, when you win that much, you expect to win. It's no one really different than the curling teams I've been on. Once, you, once you've won and you've got there, second and third place and fourth place, that's no good. And like, losing hurts m- even yeah, more. Of course, yeah. When you know the taste of victory, I mean, losing sucks. But yeah, there's a lot of stamp decals here on, on vehicles. I think it's, yep. just, it's just a deadly sports town. Even when we curl here, we played a Grand Slam here this year. Packed. doesn't have to be curling or football or hockey. They get behind their athletes. I think when things are rolling good here, you know, hey, oil's 100 bucks. City's kind of coming back. back. COVID's back. People are out. So it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be in Calgary. It's uh, been great for us. Can you stay one more segment? 100%. You're good? Okay. 100%. So we'll answer some of your questions. One half of the Benny and Bo podcast, a Canadian sports icon, Ben Hebert with us at the Grey Eagle Resort and Casino. We'll be right back on Game Plus Television, YouTube Live, and, of course, 24-hour sports radio streaming at rodpeterson.com. Head to youtube.com slash the Rod Peterson Show now. You gotta subscribe. Click the subscribe button for all the content you may have missed. It is the RP Show live from Great Eagle Resort and Casino. You're getting a look at some of the acts coming up here. Billy Talent, Canadian rocker. Returning to Calgary May 2nd for an incredible show. The band will be joined by special guests Anti, Flag, and Norbro. Get your tickets at Ticketmaster.ca. Calgary's entertainment destination is the Great Eagle. And we've got Ben Hebert here. He is an Olympic gold medal curler. How many briars you won, Benny? Four briars. That's Dis- all? Disappointing. Should have six. Tragedy struck. Of course. And now he's made the switch from Team Cooey over to Team Botcher, which is seismic. And I... I said that we would get to some of the uh, viewer questions, and maybe we'll do that now. Ben said he was open to that. Uh, Colin's watching in Ottawa, and in the chat he says, where's John Morris going? Is he going back to strictly mixed doubles, or is he going to become a pitcher for the Blue Jays? (laughs) Now that he threw out a first pitch at Rogers Center, what's Johnny Moe doing? Johnny Moe's is going to the Hall of Fame. He's done? (laughs) Yeah, I think he's retiring from the men's game, and I think he's still going to play a couple years mixed doubles. I mean, he's a carded athlete. He was Olympian, and Still probably one of the best we have to offer in the mixed doubles game. Still likes it. You know, he's a, he's a marketer's dream, so there's still some sponsor dollars coming in for him. So he's going to keep it going a little bit. But two young kids, he's a firefighter. He's going to step back a little bit from the men's game. I know when we play our last event in Olds, uh, Johnny said he's going to host a, host a hospitality suite one night for his retirement and say bye to everybody. So he's looking forward to that. But uh, I don't think he'll stray too far from the game. There'll be opportunities for Johnny, whether it be commentating, coaching, something just too smart of a guy, too much charisma to be dis- disappearing from the sport. So Very popular, for sure. He's a beauty. You got to answer something for me, please. Yeah. I heard that Kevin Martin ticked everybody off. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Went on his podcast yeah. and spoke about all these team breakups. Yeah. I thought that's, my thought when I heard that was, if you want to be big time sports, boys, that's how she goes. Oh, yeah. So many people were. You know, curling's not, you know, curling's a very fair, nice, play nice in the sandbox sport. You know, you get a bad reputation quick if you do something like that. But here's the thing. I know Kevin Martin extremely well. I run a podcast. You get it. 100% I understand. Here was the thing for my team. I had talked to Kevin, BJ, and John. 
prior. We knew we were done. I had once, once I had my new team solidified after the Briar, I had talked to all my teammates, told them where I was going, who I was playing with, called my sponsors. Way too much. You of got a, out in way front of too much of a veteran to think that it was going to stay. Kevin Martin's son was one of the people that got told he wasn't playing with Brendan. So you know, obviously, going to talk to his dad. Of course, Kevin's going to know. Kevin runs a podcast. Yeah. So I'm just too sharp for that. I got out in front of it. When it came out, I was like, eh. But yeah, there was a lot of people that never dreamt that that could happen in the curling scene. So they were, hadn't told their teammates, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, families, and they weren't out in front of it. And so I think they were a little bit taken back and upset by it. Even a couple of my current teammates were a little rattled about it. But I just knew I'm not surprised. Do I think it was right? No, Kevin's got weird takes on things. He thinks it was the best thing for all this exposure for sports and clicks and likes and impressions and that kind of media world. But Kevin doesn't care, you know. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, exactly. You can't. So, exactly. So I got it. I, I spoke to Kevin. He, you know, he called me to explain. I'm like, dude, I get it. So it wasn't the end of the world. And now that the teams are all out, it's fine. At the time, people were a little bit upset, but no sweat. I don't. I got a lot of questions from viewers, but I have a ton of my own. But I, you know, I'm a longtime fan of yours. So I'm just itching. Uh-huh. I'll get one more on the on the podcast Let's do it. thing. Well, just it wasn't just the Cooey team. The Jennifer Jones team split up. The Dunstan team split up. Was it Gushu's team? Split yeah. Up? Seismic shifts in the curling landscape, and they say that these super teams are being formed, and people have a problem with that. I don't. Is that true? I mean, if you look at super teams, you don't look in Canada. <laughs> Look at Sweden and Scotland. Those are they're super winning, teams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're grabbing four players from their whole country and stacking them up. But um, it was just weird. Like, every four years, there's changes. This four years was a big shift in how much European teams were winning. The last four prior to that, not as many. And then before that, it was all Canada domination, mostly all the time. So a little bit of a change there. So we needed to kind of crank up our competitive nature in Canada, grab the best players possible. And a lot of people aging out. A lot of teams that had played together for a long time need a little bit of a refresh. You can get stale playing with the same guys forever. And um, it just so happened that, you know, once my team was done, once Mark Kennedy left Jacobs and Brad Jacobs took a step back and Brett Gallant left Kushu, then every team's done because the dominoes just fall from the top teams, right? Um, you know, if those three teams would have stayed together, I don't know if you would have seen as much as a, a shift, but just kind of the way it fell. But, you know, now that I see the landscape and the teams that are being built, Still lots of great teams. There's going to be tons of great competition. Uh, the women's side made some great changes. A couple of really strong teams over there too. So, I mean, even as a player, one, am I stoked for my team? I love it. Couldn't, couldn't be in a better place for myself. Um, but I'm excited as a curling fan to watch and see how these new teams do because you could struggle out of the gates. You could have to rally. You could come out like a lightning rod and dominate and then try to hold that you know, sustainability up top. Like there's so many things that could happen. Like, yeah. But I'm excited. What you just pointed out <laughs> is sports is different now um josh donaldson's a yankee carson wentz is a washington commander um, mm-hmm. deshaun watson's a cleveland brown there's it's some the way it is now there's some business stuff out there that's important too as much as you know you know someone you know i, I see these people on the internet like the haters like oh benny talks too much or you know oh they were sour at brendan for cutting darren it's like i can't real like like we're not gonna get along you guys don't think that we know the people that we join with, that we play on the tour with for 10 years in a row? Guys, we got it. We know who we like and who we don't like. And at the end of the day, 
you know, I, I was very fortunate to curl with Kevin Martin. I keep going back to him, but I was 22, 23 years old. I got to curl with a guy that was in his 30s and 40s who taught us so much. And hey, he wasn't our best friend. We didn't have to have hugs and kisses after every game and love each That wasn't how it was. It was a business. And you all won, we wanted yeah. to do was win. And guess what? We won. We killed everybody. Like, <laughs> it was the best. Now, could you go back to those days because the, the competition is so deep? Maybe not. But you could get to a very, like, Brad Gushu had an amazing season this year. One of the best seasons you could have in recent history because the competition is so deep. But to do that again or to do what Bruce Moet's doing and Nick Adine, that's what we're going after. So, hey, do I need to be best friends with Mark? No, I mean, he is my best friend, but, you know, you know, you know, Brendan's eight years younger than me. I don't need him to be my best friend. I need him to be the best skip and a great teammate, and we'll gel into a great team. Because when you win together, I could curl with my three biggest enemies, and when you win, I'm going to hug him and buy him a beer after. Because nothing trumps winning for me. And if you're on the other side of it and you'd rather play with your buddies, that's okay. That's just not me. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't molded that way. That's just who I am. So for me to play with the guys I'm playing with, I don't know how to say it without sounding like boring, but like I, I couldn't be in a, in a happier spot personally Good. going forward because having the chance, that's another thing too about sports. Sometimes you don't have the chance to win. We have a chance to win. You do all the work and you're going to work hard, then you can win. But if you, if you build a team that even when you work hard and do all the stuff you can't win, take care. I am out of here. But we got a chance, and that's what I'm thrilled about. Well, speaking of all that, uh, Jeff in Winnipeg, I like this behind the scenes of the curling world. <laughs> All the best to you, Ben, and everything you do. Ted and Red Deer, how often do the curling teams train together if they live in separate cities? Well, that's a great question. That's a great question. I think that's one of the reasons we're getting surpassed. Scotland guys have their own training center. The Sweden guys have their own training center. BJ Newfeld, who is our current third, great player. Kevin Cooey's here, John Morris and Cameron. We practiced together nine or ten times this season. Season. From September to April, season. These guys practice five days a week together. So the one, another reason why I think, feel like when I curled with Kevin Martin, John Morris, Mark Kennedy, guess what? We all lived in Alberta. We would drive up there. They would drive here. We'd meet in Red Deer. We trained together all the time. We lifted weights together. We did fitness camps. We're going to do that again with this team. I think being able to train together, practice together, track your rocks, see your mechanics. I know it's weird getting into that depth of it, but if you're the skip, Roddy, and you put the broom down here, and my rock goes here and yours goes here, Good luck in a game. There's a problem. There's a problem. Yeah. You need them to go to the same spot so you can get confidence yeah. in where to put the broom so you can ice read and, and, and effectively make more shots. So we're going to do that with this team. We didn't need to be told by Curling Canada, here's where you need to live or residency or here's what we should try to do to win. We know. We know what we got to do to win. And so that's another reason I'm jacked up. How did you feel about Brad Gushu complaining about ice conditions in Vegas after the gold medal game? I don't have a lot of common with Brad Gushu. You know, I would say we butt heads a little bit. You know, but Brad Gushu is an unbelievable curler, and I give him Clearly. Full, full props for this season. You know, he had, a, he had an amazing year. I mean, they beat us in the Briar final with three, which is embarrassing for us, but they, they, you know, they played good. That wasn't on them. That was on us falling on our face, but I felt for Brad Gushu at that world champion. And I don't feel for Brad Gushu ever. He, that was like, because he was playing so great, and they were so dialed, and they were playing well, and they just came back after a really good Olympics, and I talked to him after the games, and congratulated him on bronze because I thought they put a really good effort there when they weren't really playing good, but they dug deep to get a medal, which I was proud for them. Um, but that world championship ice, guys, we, we'd have a better chance of playing in a parking lot. Like, like what happened out there? I mean, we're, we're, we're professionals, if, if you could say it like that. You know, we want to go out and we want to put on a show. 
We want to entertain. We want to make a bunch of shots. We want the crazy. We want to make an in-off double for three. We want to draw the button for the win. It was impossible. So you're out there playing like a Tuesday night club game in the World Championship final. If it was me in those shoes, I would have been equally as irate. You know, I defend Brad for those comments after that. Interesting. Yeah. And that's just as from me, I don't know. That's why I asked. It was awful. (laughs) But don't you think both teams have to play on it? Sure, sure. But it it takes a lot of skill out of it. Like if you play in a... A great cup on ice. Exactly. You know, different. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, and you might want to uh, stick around for our next interview because Byron Smith is here. He's been milling around behind you. He's, count, he's climbed the seven largest summits in the world and Mount Everest twice. Ooh. He lives here in town. He's going to be coming on next. Speaking of guys that have accomplished something, but your podcast, the Benny and Bo podcast. Yeah. We have to talk about that. Sure. Well, you're liking it, eh? Oh, it was amazing. You know, I'm feeling pretty comfortable right now chatting with you. It's no different when I'm with Bo, right? right. So. You know, chatting about sports, you know, being able to talk to some amazing athletes. We loved it. You know, we had a great company uninterrupted behind us, but we're on hiatus right now. We actually were going to, we were going to fire it back up right here in April. You know, it's funny being in the business world now, you know, we started doing it for fun, but then, you know, sponsors and dollars and all the stuff comes into it and how much time you want to put into it. And with Bo in his last year of his contract, you know, I think he wants to go full, you know, blinders on here and, and get his arm and his body feeling great again and put on a good show here in Calgary. And and, and keep his career going. And for me, you know, with a new team, there's a lot of logistic work to do at the start here. You know, we're chasing, you know, sponsors and, and finding our own new brand and getting to know the new team. And the, the podcast was a lot of work. We had to chase a lot of guests. We had to find some sponsor mm-hmm. dollars. You know, my half my basement was taken up by the studio. So my kids are pumped. They can play a little more hockey down there now. But we put it on hold. We do intend on, on coming, on bringing it back. But you know, it was amazing. You know, we had uh, some great exposure. We had tons of views. I was at the Olympic trials and everybody was, you know, I'm, I'm a curler, like I'm there to try to win. And most of the people in Saskatoon wanted to talk to me about my podcast and how much they loved it. So that was cool. And then when Bo went out to the Great Cup to work for TSN, he was texting me. He goes, I didn't know anybody knew you in Toronto. I'm like, they don't. And he goes, not at the Great Cup here. Everyone's talking about how much they love our show and they love you. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So feedback was great. We had a great yeah. time. We don't know where it's going to go, I'm not going to lie, but we do know that we had enough success that if the right opportunity does come around, we would, we would certainly bring it back. It's just, it's just not a good time for me and Bo personally right now to, to put that much effort in. We've got to take a little bit of a break. Yeah. But people can go back and listen to old ones. Yeah, they're awesome. Right? They're, on, the they're on Apple and YouTube, and we got some yeah. wicked athletes on there, some, some really good conversations. Benny and Bo podcast. But if I may, as a guy that hosts a podcast, I don't like when you have guests on. <laughs> I just want to hear you two. You, you probably get that. We do get that from lots of people. But, but the thing is for us, for, <clears throat> we would have a, a genuine audience that would just follow me and Bo. And we'd get yeah. to a certain spot. <laughs> but you know the drill. I get if, it. If you, hey, if you want more people to watch, you bring in other audiences. Like when we brought in Steph Labbe off the women's soccer team, our viewership doubled, tripled for one show. Soccer. Me and Bo don't exactly wheel and deal soccer. <laughs> right so we brought her in uh, it goes to, you know our audience that triples man? and so then you're like okay well that, that's why you have the guests that's the business side of the pod but yeah me and Bo got enough stories and enough we can bs enough that we don't we don't need guests but for me too i'm a sports fan let's talk to kyle lowry milos raunich yeah that's cool stuff. like there was some wicked people on there that i got to meet that i never knew before lee westwood Corey connors super cool and you know and some local buddies you know i got mark morris on there and you know, Cole Sillinger came on the show and we talked to Getsy and it was awesome. So we'll see. I don't know where it's going to go. I would love to do it again one day, but right now we're, uh, we're postponed for, for personal reasons. 
You're a busy guy. You got right. lots going on. That's right. You're a winner. Ben Hebert, keep it up. Thanks for coming down. Yeah, thanks, Roddy. Good luck uh, with the show. The champion, Ben Hebert. We've got another one coming in next. Byron Smith, you're not going to want to miss this. We're broadcasting live from Gray Eagle Resort and Casino, Calgary's entertainment destination on Game Plus Television, YouTube live streaming, and, of course, you can always catch the podcast wherever the best podcasts are found, including Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Head to YouTube.com slash The Rod Peterson Show now. You gotta subscribe. Click the subscribe button for all the content you may have missed. Beautiful Wednesday morning here in the foothills. We are live from Great Eagle Resort and Casino. And everybody, listen up. Perk up. Yeah, you're gonna love that. You are going to love this interview. Byron Smith joining us, a man who I feel like we can bring him on the screen. I think you should do the introduction. You climbed the seven largest summits in the world, Mount Everest twice. He's now doing motivational speaking, executive coaching. It's a one hell of a story, man. And I'm already loving having you down here. So thank you. Well, thank you very much, Rod. Thanks for the opportunity. How would you introduce yourself in an elevator speech? What do you, I do this. Well, I'm what? Zach's dad. Oh, is how I'd introduce congratulations. myself. Uh, I'm an Interesting individual that's uh, a goal setter, um, believes in leadership and commitment, uh, leadership from within, exploring uh, culture, people, and geography. So it's, uh, I've got a lot of stories in all different uh, areas from diving all over the world. I got 2,500 dives uh, to, you know, running out of air at 220 feet in truck lagoon. Does anything scare you? Oh, yes. Um, mortality. Uh, I, I had a brain aneurysm uh, 12 years ago, and I shouldn't be here. So I'm very fortunate to uh, still be alive and still be able to be around family and friends and, and to uh, be with my love, lovely lady. Yolanta. Yolanta. Yeah. Yolanta, yes. I'll be well, right. What nationality? Polish. Gotcha. Okay, well... Mutual friend, Jack Fulton, lined this interview up, and Jack's probably watching right now. We love you, Jack, and I appreciate it. That guy climbed the seven? Yeah, the highest peaks in every continent. Seven summit. So there's a story there. Well, there's a story. Um, I was 16 years old, and I finished reading Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay's account of climbing Mount Everest, May 29th, 1953. And I put the book down, and I sort of closed my eyes, and I said, one day I'll climb Mount Everest. I probably didn't realize what I was saying at the time, but my whole life had been goal setting. I mean, I wanted to be an NHL player, so I was you know, playing hockey. And He's from Flint Flon. Yeah. No, I'm from Winnipeg. But you said you were from Flint My mom and dad are from <laughs> oh, Flint Flon. Sorry, okay. And my older brother and sister. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Continue, sorry. Okay. No worries. And uh, left Winnipeg when I was three years old. I hitchhiked to Calgary all by myself. No. The family, <laughs> family moved, and we got heavy into the outdoors. Uh, always going to the mountains and uh, being acquainted with with that Bragg Creek area. This would be the place to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, never had a fear of heights. I was on top of buildings, houses, you know, trying to get the swing to actually go all the way over those kind of things. Um, but I'm I'm very conscious of uh, not compromising safety. So a lot of people may may think that I uh, uh, I'm a risk taker, but I'm a calculated risk taker. No different than in business. You know, you you 
learn your craft, you understand it 360 degrees so that you can, you can work through any problems with, with enough training, you know, practice, drill, and rehearse, you, you should be able to uh, overcome most adversity. Other than on a mountain, it's weather or an injury that's going to be something you cannot control necessarily. So um, at, at a young age, wanting to uh, um, get up high on mountains, I used to lie on the grass looking up into the cloud, and I'd see these little black specks moving around up there, which were the birds. And I always wanted to have their perspective of looking down. And one of the greatest gifts that I feel that I can, I, I can have is being on top of a mountain. It doesn't matter how high it is, but being able to have the, the vista down below me and looking around 360 degrees. It's just a magnificent, wonderful feeling that I get in my heart. Very warm feeling. So uh, after many years, I was only, I guess I was 33 uh, when I made the, the plunge to get into high altitude climbing. So a good friend of mine, the first Canadian to climb uh, Everest, Laurie Skreslick, um, we uh, climbed Aconcagua together back in 1996 or 97. I can't even remember mm -hmm. anymore. And uh, after I climbed Aconcagua, I had no problems with altitude uh, sickness at all. I, I said, I'm going to go to the big one now. And uh, I know Laurie sort of cautioned me on that. He says, well, let's go do Broad Peak first. And I said, no, I'm going to do it and take the time, the three months away from home. I'm going to go do Everett. So in 1998, I was on a British expedition and um, Himalayan kingdoms and got over there. It was a commercial British expedition. Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. These Rocky Mountains out in Banff that we just drop our jaws at, mm -hmm. compare it to Mount Everest. Is this like molehills compared to that? Well, uh, so the average height of our Canadian Rockies is around 9,000 feet. Okay. And when you're in the Himalayas, you're looking at 20,000 foot peaks and you just feel so minuscule. And and the right. magnificence that's, that's being spread out in front of you, it's just, it, it is jaw-dropping. And it's mesmerizing to, to feel that, that you're in amongst all this splendor. And yeah. So I apologize. No, so it's no, more it's... than twice the height of those. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Continue, please. Mount you Ever get over there and... Uh, yeah. uh, so get over there, and, and uh, it's a commercial expedition. We only have enough oxygen for one summit push. Um, and those that were responsible in 1998, uh, to uh, bring the rope up to the south summit, basically the second highest point on earth, to span over Knife Edge Ridge, which is 10,000 foot drop in the right hand side, 8,000 foot drop in the left hand side. So there's very little room for error. One slip, one fall, you're dead. So you need rope, you anchor it across the ridge, uh, so that if, and you clip into it so that if you slip or fall, you'll only fall the slack of the rope uh, and, and not plummet to your death. And uh, there was no rope that was brought. So there was a misjudgment by some of the uh, expedition leaders at that time. And it's not like pulling over to the side of the road when you're driving down a highway um, and, and you get a flat tire and you can just stop and get, get a spare tire. We couldn't run back down and get more rope physically. It just wouldn't, wouldn't work. And we only had enough oxygen for one summit push. So... Ultimately I, didn't, ultimately, I didn't summit that day. I, I uh, was 270 vertical feet short, less than an hour from the top, but I'd climbed, you know, 97.2 or 97.8% of my goal. And uh, it was very, very difficult to make that 
rational business decision in my head. Do I go? Do I not go? I knew I could go do it, but one slip, my son would never see me again. So uh, to, to make a correction, I've only climbed Mount Everest once. Okay. Uh, May 21st, 2000. Only I, once he's climbed Mount Everest. <laughs> but in 1998, I was 270 vertical feet short. And I see. So I went back home and uh, being short of the, of the summit, and I um, uh, started the, the groundwork to lead and organize my own expedition. And I got CBC involved, so it was, ended up being the most televised expedition in the history of Everest up to that point. So every day for three months, I was broadcasting live to CBC, back to Canada, back to the Caribbean, back to the U.S., and I was on, doing it on the NBC Today show about nine times as well. And then it was rebroadcast in Canada. So nine times a day I was on TV, my four-minute slot, so to speak, uh, wrapped around expedition sponsor commercials and so on. So it was, uh, it was quite an affair. I mean, I had my 15 minutes of fame after I ended up summiting Everest on May 21st, 2000. But there, there was a lot of um, uh, situations that occurred on, on that mountain. On the 6th of May, when we were going for the summit, we had 100-mile-an-hour winds at Camp 4. Tents were lifting up. You had to push off with your foot against the, the side of the tent to keep it from caving in. And we had to get back down um, and wait out the storm. And, and during that time period, a, um, a group of eight Russians were up on the mountain trying to push through the storm. And an avalanche uh, hit their tents, buried the tents. And if it wasn't for one, one of the climbers having um, a knife on a lanyard around his neck, uh, in order to cut through a sleeping bag, cut through the tent, he was able, therefore he was able to save the rest of uh, his teammates from suffocation. So, you know, during the course of uh, goal setting and, you know, some people compromise their safety, maybe trying to push the limits in order to achieve their goal. And th these kind of things happened um, where we rested at base camp and then further down valley to uh, absorb more oxygen. Uh, in our in our blood, and uh, because you're you're full of red blood cells, you know. So from yeah. a physiological standpoint, you're uh, acclimatizing and and creating more red blood cells, and which carries more oxygen around your system, which gives you the ability to go higher and um, function. I can't end this interview. Can you stick for one more segment? Absolutely. Okay, we'll come back with overtime, and we'll talk more about the executive coaching and the leadership he's doing, and more of your stories, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. This is fascinating. Uh, Byron Smith with us. Live from Gray Eagle. We'll be right back. You're watching on the Game Plus TV network. YouTube live and 24-hour sports radio at rodpeterson.com. Have you subscribed to the Rod Peterson Show YouTube channel yet? Head to youtube.com slash the Rod Peterson Show now. Aerial coverage provided by our friends at Bronco Plumbing and Heating. Check them out at broncoplumbing.com. They can handle all your heating and refrigeration needs. We're there in the event center. You see us in the bottom right corner. Hopefully the snow is gone soon. Byron Smith is with us. Mountain climber, diver, executive coach, motivational speaker. Now you have to say something. I've only climbed one mountain in my day, and it was a piddly one, Camelback Mountain in Scottsdale, Arizona. <laughs> I assume you've been there. I've done the same mountain right. a few times. And yeah. when I was going there, people were saying to me, it's dangerous. Some said it's not that dangerous. Some said it's treacherous. Some said it's not. And I found that it's like 
getting sober. And our good friend, Jack Fulton, our mutual friend, he's sober in recovery like me. I said, it's the same thing. People are going to tell you getting sober is treacherous or it's not treacherous. It's dangerous. But I got halfway up that mountain in Scottsdale. And I'm like, if I slip, I could die. Yeah. Well, you take the wrong step and it could be fatal. And that the recovery world is like that. So I kind of get it. And I see how with your motivational speaking and your coaching, how you've related it to climbing mountains. Right. Yeah, I try to draw the parallels between being successful in your personal and your business life and how it's really the same template. And I, I use Mount Everest to draw those parallels. What a man. So are you what's keeping you busy now? You're diving, too. You must have some diving stories. Oh, yeah, I've got some tremendous diving <laughs> stories. I'm 220 feet down uh, on a shipwreck in Micronesia, Truck Lagoon, very famous um, lagoon with 60 shipwrecks and and i'm running i i can't breathe and so i'm i'm looking at my regulator and trying to figure it out i'm looking at my dive computer which is air integrated so it's electronic integrated uh i also have a secondary uh pressure gauge to see what's going on how much air in the tank and uh i can't breathe so i go to my secondary uh, regulator and i it's still i i'm drawing in really hard and i'm about 200 and 210 feet which is way deeper than recreational diving should be on air but i'm used to deep diving and uh so i it's just me and, and a dive guide who's showing me around all these wrecks and i go to him that my air's cut off and uh he comes over and and he just cracks my my valve and i'm able to breathe again so uh what what we're used to for valet diving let's say in mexico or hawaii or wherever where they're run-of-the-mill tourists turn well well <laughs> yeah. they're turning their your tanks on and when you jump in and I should have known it because three other times I jumped into the water uh, in Micronesia and, and the there was, tank wasn't turned on. So anyways, I, I was able to breathe and finish out the dive on, on that one. And then there was another one there uh, on another time. So I've, I've spent a, two months underwater in Micronesia diving. And uh, I was in this back of a, of a ship in the steering um, mechanism portion of, of the ship. And there was four other divers with me, and I'm the last one going in. And there's all the silt that's been built up over the years. And so you, you have to learn how to frog kick very gently so you don't disturb the silt on the ceiling and the walls and the floor and so on. And uh, there was a gentleman that was disturbing a lot of that. And so I couldn't see to get out, and I was the last one in, in, in the room. And so I had to calm myself down, of course, because I'm, I don't know, 180 feet under the water. And I, I know that, uh, you know, I gotta, the air's got to last while I'm trying to get around the room and find out that three-by-three three hole that we came into to get out of. And finally I found it and I got out. But uh, th these are the things that build up your, uh, your, your knowledge, your toolbox and knowledge for the next time. I, I almost strangled a guy. I was, hey, Jeff Kabilis of Winnipeg, great interview, just wow. Cynthia in Pittsburgh. Byron is amazing. So inspirational. I would love to meet him. Such an amazing human. I was just in the Florida Keys and they, I'm supposed to jump off the back of the boat and they said, don't touch the ocean floor. That's their home. You could get stung or bit. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to? I figured it out, right? <laughs> Gingerly. Yeah. As you say, don't kick up too much stuff. So you're doing executive coaching and motivational speaking. If people, they just said they'd like to meet you. To speak to a group, or if they need an executive coach, what would be the way to go about it? Well, they can reach me at byronsmith.com um, or on my cell phone. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Simple, bold, and all that contact info is there. Yes, right? it is. So, but if with the groups and the motivational speaking, because I do a lot of that too, COVID kind of knocked the crap out of that, but it's coming back. Yes. So what's your specialty there? Youth, businesses? All, all over. Everything? Uh, yeah. You know, Fortune 500 uh, could be students. It could be uh, small business. I, I, I like one-on-one executive coaching. Um, I, I feel that I'm really drawn to... Uh, to helping people discover themselves and to find the answers out themselves. And so my role as an executive coach is to pull out from them the answers. It's not to give them the answers because nobody likes to hear what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. I never did. <laughs> who, who does, <laughs> right? Well, they're telling us we got 90 seconds. You, would you identify as a car guy? You... No, I think I, I would identify more as a, uh, a father, a, um, a good friend, a brother, son, a um, a trusted, loyal person to uh, to work with and around. I say that because he's owned two car dealerships. Two car dealerships. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, but you know, I, that was I was a business guy uh, within that. I wasn't really a car geek, even though I've had lots of vehicles and, and so on. I, I'd like to say I'm a I'm a an adventurer explorer at heart. I, I like to discover. I like to learn. I'm a lifelong learner, and I like to. Uh, to help others to achieve that Good as well. Good for you. Yeah, but that's where the real fun is. It is. All, all around the world. Byron, thanks for coming down here. Really Thank you so it. much for the opportunity, Rod. Thank you. Byronsmith.com. What a day. Sam Cosentino, Ben Hebert, and of course, Byron Smith and the Moose. He's around here somewhere doing business uh, at the Great Eagle Resort and Casino. What do we got tomorrow, Clark? What day is tomorrow? Thursday? What do we got? Oh, we got Greg Peterson, the uh, longtime Calgary Stampeders color commentator, former Grey Cup winning safety. Matt Kellett, too, I believe. It's all tomorrow. We'll see you at noon Eastern here on Game Plus Television and YouTube Live. <laughs> Who has more fun than us? <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.